be aware of how your relationship with yourself is impacting your relationship with the growth that you want to see in your business. Yes, money is clearly a large part of that, but fear is an even bigger part of it. So to understand, are you simply getting in your own way because you have a fear? And what will be the result if you remove that fear and go and do it anyway? You know, Nike, that is a fantastic strap line. You feel the fear, but do it anyway, because what could you be celebrating if you go and do it anyway? Welcome to the Biology of Business, where we answer the big question. How can healthcare professionals like us, who haven't sold out to the pharmaceutical industry and are spending money from our own pockets, how can we market and communicate our services, our expertise, and all the things we believe in, so that they reach the world and the people we wish to serve, yet still remain profitable? That's the question this podcast aims to answer, and I'll be sharing with you the anatomy and physiology of a business so that you can apply your clinical reasoning to your business reasoning and create healthy, sustainable, and impactful clinics. I hope you enjoy listening and subscribe. Welcome to the Biology of Business. I'm Kate, and this afternoon we have the absolute pleasure of being joined by the founder of the Money Confidence Academy, Leslie Thomas. Welcome, Leslie. Hi there, Kate. Thank you very much for having me on. Now, Leslie, you're not an accountant and you're not a bookkeeper, but you are expert in money and the growth of personal finances. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I work with people to help them understand their behaviours around money, their relationship with money, and actually to get a real insight into their relationship with money is a direct reflection of their relationship with themselves. Because how we do money is how we do everything. It's not separate. It's absolutely one and the same. And the better we understand our own sense of self-worth and self-value, the better relationship we're going to have with money. So our low, a low self-esteem or a low sense of self-worth will show up in somebody's bank account? Mm. 110% because when it comes to running our business, All the things that we need to do to have a successful business are absolutely interlinked with that sense of self-worth and self-confidence. So being able to price ourselves correctly, being able to have those difficult conversations around money when somebody hasn't paid us on time, putting boundaries in place, being able to be as visible as we need to be in our businesses. All those things are tied up with how we think and feel about ourselves. And if how we think and feel about ourselves is not where it needs to be, then absolutely 100% it'll be directly reflected in our bank accounts. That's absolutely fascinating, Leslie. So how did you unearth this? How did you come around to this understanding? Okay, so it's quite quite a, a long-winded journey to a certain extent. I spent 20 years in corporate. I worked in corporate telecommunications. Then 12 years ago, when my children were very small, they were only around about three and 18 months. I was working up in London, living in Wiltshire, doing the commute three or four times a week. My husband had was running his own business at the time. So he was the one that I would leave in charge of the children, giving them breakfast, taking them to nursery as I was heading out the door to head up to London. I loved my job, but I did not love the impact it had on me as a mum, as a wife, 
and as an employee, because I just felt my time was being pulled in so many different directions. So my entrepreneurial journey started 12 years ago when I joined my husband in the property he'd, so in the business he'd set up selling ski property in Switzerland. So I joined and I added the French arm of the business, but it was never, it was a job for me. It allowed me to do the school run. It allowed me to go to the nativities and the sports days and to generally be there for my children. But it was a job. It wasn't a passion. So I decided a few years ago that I wanted to retrain as a business coach because I'd always coached and mentored informally throughout my corporate career and whilst establishing my husband's business in France. So as lockdown hit, I actually retrained as a business coach with a plan to be a confidence coach for women. But the more I studied and researched the connection between sense of self-worth, self-value and confidence, the more money kept coming up the entire time. Our relationship with money being driven by our sense of self-worth and self-value. And that to me was my eureka moment, essentially, helping women to understand that their sense of confidence really does come from their sense of their own worth, their own value, and in turn, how that gets imprinted onto their relationship with money. So I set up Money Confidence Academy. I started my own podcast. And the rest, as they say, is history. So Leslie, I'm curious to ask, have you found over your time working specifically with women and their relationship with money, that many women find themselves in compromised situations because of their low self-worth and their low financial worth in terms of remaining in poor workplaces or poor relationships because they don't know what to do? I think for me, you know, with with lots of my clients, it's been based on the fact they know they're capable of far more. They know they want to have more. They just don't know how to go about getting it for themselves. They recognise that something is holding them back. They recognise there's something in their relationship with money that is holding them back. And they want to establish what is it that is stopping them from growing their businesses, increasing their prices, increasing their visibility. And some of those symptoms will be present for some clients and not all clients. And a different set of symptoms will be there for other clients. So some will have very little problem being visible, but others will have massive problems and even thinking about increasing their pricing, even though they realise the only way they can financially grow their business is either by working more hours. Why would you want to do that? When actually, if you looked at how you charged, and how you package your services, that would allow you to increase the money coming into your business and then what you were able to do as a result of running your own business. So for lots of my clients, and I now have male clients as well, because having a poor relationship with money is not just in the female domain, 
I just chose to niche down the female business owners, but actually quite naturally, men are coming to me now as well because they recognize they are capable of having a much more successful business if they can just understand what is going on for them and to overcome the limiting beliefs that have developed that is stopping them from doing the things they want to be doing in order to grow their business. So our audience of health professionals and clinic owners will certainly be resonating with this because one of the um, two of the obstacles that I see with health professionals and clinic owners is one is that the, the health professional that is still employed can perhaps be hamstrung and being compromised with their ethics in terms of what they're being asked to do and perhaps being perhaps feeling like they're being used nefariously, but don't know how to get out. And then the other is certainly with the person that already has found a way to create their own practice, but is perhaps very, very um, concerned about doing their best always by the client, but forgetting ever to serve themselves and that their practice simply won't be there if they don't take care of uh, their finances and in turn value their own worth and their own contribution that they're making. And that, you know, the word you use there, which is is the most important word, is value. When you value what it is you do and the value that you bring to your patients, then actually in turn, you value what you do and you value the service that you give to them. And in return, they value what you do and the service that you bring to them as well. When you are concerned about charging or delivering a service but ethics at the are at the back of your mind in terms of what is going on in the wider world etc should I speak up about what's going on what you're concerned about is will I end up losing the financial situation that I am in and that is when you have to come back to why am I doing what am I doing and is it serving my values because when we run a business based on our set of values, everything is aligned. And that alignment is what gives us that sense of satisfaction. And our sense of satisfaction is so important in terms of how we are going about doing our business. And when we don't feel that we are doing the right thing, for our clients, for our patients in the right way, that is when we can have a misalignment of our values. And I always say that our stomach is our second brain. Our stomach really allows us to know what is going on for us in terms of, are we delivering upon what's important to us? Do we get that sinking feeling when we're doing something that's misaligned with our values? Do we get that excited feeling when we know we should be doing something, but we're not doing it because we're scared of what the outcome is going to be? And it's really important for all of us to understand what are our personal values? How are they reflected in our business? And how are they reflected in how we do business? And when they are reflected and they are aligned, that is when actually our concerns about money and will we have enough money and will we be able to do the things we want to do, that goes away 
because actually we're doing everything in alignment. It's when we knock something out of alignment that we, our second, our second brain, our stomach, starts us to question. We start to have doubt. And when we have that doubt, that is when our level of service tends to drop off as well. Right. So if I can summarise that, it's vital that we understand what our values are and operate or create businesses or places of work that are congruent with what our values are. And then we're exchanging with our clients, with our patients, with our, our customers, we're exchanging the value that we can bring to them, which is in line with our personal values, with what is important to them in terms of what the barriers or obstacles are that we're helping them remove so that yeah. they can get to their dream outcome. Yeah, absolutely. And if that is not congruent and if that's compromised somewhere, it's either showing up in the fact that we are not valuing ourselves and we're not performing financially as well as we could. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, our, our relationship with money or our money mindset, as you know, very often it's called, is that conversation that we're having with ourselves about our thoughts and feelings around money. And it's very often those negative conversations that we're having with ourselves around money. But that negative conversation links back to our values and the value that we place in ourselves and what we do. So it's they're very, very linked. And the whole relationship with money stems back to the value that we place on ourselves and what we do. And presumably as you're working through this with clients, some of this goes back to stuff that was said in the classroom or that your mum said money never grows on trees or... Absolutely. Childhood... You know, what yeah, 100%. You know, that that phrase, you know, give me the boy at seven and I'll show you the man. You know, that is so, so true that our relationship with money is imprinted usually between the ages of naught and seven. Now, a lot of people will say, well, I, I can't remember being any younger than about four or five. Our conscious self won't remember, but our subconscious will remember. And very often there are triggers that happen in our very, very early childhood that stay with us. Our subconscious doesn't want us to remember them because of how we felt at the time. You know, trauma may have occurred and trauma doesn't necessarily have to be something truly traumatic as we think of that word trauma. It could simply be somebody laughed at something that we said in class when we were being totally, utterly serious. We put our hand up to proudly, you know, give the answer. And we said our dad's name. You know, I did, I remember in primary school going, Dad, I, I mean, Mr. Davis. Well, we could take that experience, remember the class laughing and think, I must never put my hand up again. I must never be seen to raise my head above the parapet because when I do, people are going to laugh at me when actually it was more of a <laughs> that was you that time I've done that before with another teacher so we can take very very inconsequential behaviors from other people 
and turn them into being something much, much bigger. We interpret them incorrectly, but our subconscious then says, mm, it's not safe for you to remember that. That'll upset you. But when you go to do something like raise your visibility, your subconscious will then go, uh-oh, they're doing it again. They're going to embarrass themselves. Let's try and talk them out of doing that very thing by let's just remind them what might happen. What have you got to say? What if people laugh at you? What if you freeze up on camera? What if other people think you don't know as much as your nearest competitor, et cetera, et cetera? And that's why all the procrastination and self-doubt comes in because of an earlier experience that then gets layered on. We go to school. Teachers say things to you like, you're not good at maths. Your parents say things to you like, you only got 50% in your maths homework. What happened to the other 50%? Or you don't get chosen to be on the netball team. And all those things just get layered and layered and layered. So your sense of self-worth and self-confidence gets knocked more and more and more. But it all starts off at that imprint stage, which is between the ages of naught and seven. And does it matter then, whilst we're, if, if, if you're going through this process, helping people readdress their relationship with themselves and their relationship with money and the, the, and the value that they bring to the world, does it, do they need to be able to go back to identify what that incident is in the classroom? Or do they just need to be able to recalibrate, reprogram from now? It really varies, you know, largely, you know, with my clients, I will use something called timeline therapy, which will take them back to the first time they will have experienced, you know, a particular emotion that might be fear, it might be guilt, it might be shame. Take them back to that first moment, get them to go back before that moment and then go forward beyond that moment, holding on to the feelings that they had before that moment occurred. Mm -hmm. Because very often you can see, first of all, just because, you know, you, you were five years old and your friend who was five said something horrible to you about your dress. Well, actually, you're no longer, you know, a five-year-old little girl or little boy. So why are you still holding on to what they said to you? So you view the situation as an adult and the learning about that situation. For some clients, it can simply be a reframe, a reframe ar around what they want to do and emotionally connecting them to why they want to do it. You know, why do you want to grow the income in your business? Why is it important to be visible? Why do you want to go and speak on a public stage? Because when you're able to emotionally, really emotionally connect to your why, your why you want to do it, the outcome you want to see becomes far more important than all the reasons why you're not going to do it. So that reframe and realising that the first time you do it is going to be the worst time you're going to do it, the most nervous you're going to be. But when you then create that evidence to demonstrate, well, I've done it and I'm still alive and nobody booed me off the stage and nobody made fun of my dress or my pigtails, actually, I really can do this. So the next time you have to do the thing you didn't want to do, 
you've created the sub, you've created that evidence for your subconscious. So your subconscious starts saying, okay, so I remember now you've done this. The result was okay. And I can see your intent on doing it again. So maybe this time, rather than me try and stop you from doing it, I'm going to encourage you by giving you some suggestions and new ideas to give you that filter that you actually can do it. So they, I, so I never do a one-size-fits-all approach for clients. There will be different needs for different clients, but each methodology will create a very, very similar result. There's just a different way of getting there. It's a little bit like diets. You know, for some people, they want Weight Watchers. For other people, it's Slimming World. For other people, it's fasting. You know, they, they all end up with the same result. There's just a different way to get there. 100 ways to roast a chicken. Exactly. The one you like. <laughs> exactly. Works for you. Yeah, absolutely. So there'll be many clinic owners and health professionals at the moment are seeing opportunities for how they could work differently and contribute to the patients and the community they wish to serve in a different way to the, that which they perhaps have been or currently are. But as you referred to earlier, or we referred to earlier, they might be feeling financially very stuck in having a very reasonable salary, but compromised and know they're compromised and that's not making them feel well. Equally, it'll perhaps feel like a huge risk for them to change the status quo. Maybe, you know, rising energy bills, mortgage payments, kids' school fees, whatever, car payments. They'll be feeling anxious about how or whether they should seize the opportunity and take what they perceive to be a risk or whether they should stay as they are, even though it's perhaps sitting badly with them. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it's a case of, really understanding what it is you want and what is holding you back from doing it and what safety net can you create in the meantime to allow you to move towards the change you want to see. And I think when we really understand our options and understand the real impact of our options, because usually what happens we get presented with an opportunity and what the large majority of people will do is go, no, I'll just stay doing, I'm just stay doing what I've always done and get the same results as I've always gotten. As opposed to going, okay, let me examine this in a little bit more detail. Let me understand, is there a real risk involved here or am I relying on information that's unqualified? Am I relying on information from a different point in time when I was a different person with a different set of skills and experience? What happens if it will work? What will the implications be of it working, not just what are the implications of it not working? And I think it's really to understand are you limiting yourself with regards to that opportunity or are you just concentrating because your behaviours around risk have always been to not risk, but to understand what have you gained or lost by having that attitude? And it is about having a much more open approach to change to opportunities, but really exploring that opportunity completely in the round and saying, if there was no risk, if I was not going to lose everything, 
would I take this opportunity? And if I was to take this opportunity, what would that give me? And to really understand, is it a limiting belief that is holding you back? Or is there something else that is causing you to have that concern? And how can you go about mitigating that risk to really get what you want? And it's part of the problem that people face is that they can't talk about it. Money is such a dirty word. And certainly within the health business, although it's a hugely profitable industry, the individual health professional or clinic owner talks very, very little about money feeling it shouldn't be spoken about, perhaps, or not daring to dare bring it up. Exactly. And I think I think that is the biggest problem, is not feeling that you can talk about it. You know, that, that old phrase, you know, a problem shared is a problem halved. Well, imagine if you were able to have a conversation and to say, this is the situation I am presented with. You know, at the moment, I haven't got enough income in or I'm going to have a big expenditure and therefore I need to replace that money and be able to use others as a sounding board to have that learned and shared opportunity to experience what others have done in a similar situation as you. Money very often is seen as a, a source of shame for people, particularly, you know, at the moment, people who never expected to find themselves short of money, never thought they would ever be in a situation where they had to manage their money differently. Those people are doing it under the radar and feeling it must be something wrong in them, as opposed to it's the economic reality for a lot of people. But a lot of people have got a lot of ideas. And when we become solution focused and able to share the experience that we have had going through certain situations, doing so in confidence where required, then people can start to say, oh, I'm not the only one. I'm not the failure. I can help myself. And in helping myself, I'm helping others to also realise there's an opportunity here for them as well. So I think the more we talk about money, the more that we see it as an energy, the more that we see it as an exchange for the results that we bring for our patients, for our clients, rather than see it as something that we use to beat ourselves up with and feel that sense of embarrassment, feel that sense of it's not for me, when actually it is for everybody. We just need to make that decision. It is for me. And what am I going to do to create the evidence that it's actually possible? And talking about it is the absolute key. And do you think there's still a, a lot of, I mean, I'm sure most of the population are still in one way or another recovering from the impact of the last three years that's affected their life in some way or their parents or their children. There's still um, a recovery or an impact process from, from what we've all gone through that actually been able to resource yourself to um, find the value that you bring and have certainty in the value that you bring and charge accordingly requires quite a bit of resourcefulness because you're having to get over 
very tricky last few years. Yeah. And also, it isn't just, you know, the last few years, you know, research shows that uh, in the corporate space, you know, in particular, 70% of people um, have are either in or have been in financial stress. That rises to 95% in the FTSE top 50 companies, 95% have been or are in financial stress. And a lot of that goes back before the pandemic. So financial stress is something that has not just suddenly hit us in the last three years, but people have become much more aware of it because it has impacted everybody in some way, even those people who have, have successfully pivoted in a job or moved out of corporate and set up their own business or who have changed their niche or whatever it might be, find themselves working from home. For some, they love working from home. For others, they've lost that camaraderie, that ability to collaborate, et cetera, et cetera. Those water cooler moments, you know, being able just to share an insight into your personal life, going out for lunch because you, you're sharing a desk with each other, networking and um, coming together for conferences, et cetera, et cetera. The ability to share, the ability to say, mm, not so good today. In entrepreneurial spaces, that is very much um, becoming much more of the norm. You know, we talk about that a lot more. But I think within the clinician space, because of what's happened around COVID, because of what is happening then with the NHS, you know, being in catch up and the strikes that are going on, the balance between how supported clinicians feel now and how overwhelmed they are, you know, with the amount of catch-up work they have to do and the attitude of the public, you know, when they hear about who got contracts for PPE, people who never had any experience of selling any PPE beforehand. There's a lot of misinformation out there that clinicians in particular could be at the brunt end of. And therefore, talking about it, really understanding and, and explaining how you're feeling, not putting an elastoplast on those concerns because you don't want people to know that you're struggling. You know, when you, when you put an elastoplast over something, when you bottle things up, we all know a point comes sooner rather than later when that bottle top has to come off. And financial pressures, financial stress is usually the thing that will undo every element of your well-being and your health quicker than anything else, because it leads to layering on of other bad habits. You stop exercising, you start eating the wrong foods, you start drinking more, you, your sleep patterns are interrupted, you start becoming more introverted, you withdraw from society because you can't talk about these things. People find it easier to talk about, you know, I've been alcohol free for the last 60 days. You know, I've lost X amount of weight I put on over, but nobody says, I know, but actually COVID cost me this amount of money. People are not doing that 
So that stress is not allowing itself to be, be released in the same way as it is for other unhealthy behaviours. And behaviours around money can be as unhealthy and as bad for us as any other bad habits can be for our health as well. So what you're describing there towards the end of that was that actually we can create healthy money habits. We have to address our relationship with ourselves because that's integrally integral to our relationship with, with money. Um, but also there's, there's an element of habit as well that we can yeah. um, address and improve too. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm one of those simple habits and it might, you know, it might sound strange to your listeners, but honestly, it's hugely impactful is to check your bank account on a daily basis. And some of my clients will say, what? I try to avoid my bank account, you know, at, at every opportunity. I don't want to know what's going on. Well, just because you're not looking at your bank account does not mean the activity is not going on. When you start to view that number in your bank account as being information upon which you can take action, actually that number becomes far less scary. And something that is, you know, very often said in business, the, the work that we do today will be reflected in our bank account in 90 days time. Well, the more that you understand what is going on in your bank account, the more you can work back, what was I doing 90 days ago? How did it result in that lump sum of money coming in? How, how can there's a glut of several days or weeks and there's nothing coming in? If you track back, so what was going on, you will be able to recognise those behaviours that were either serving you or not serving you. So when we track our bank account, when we track our expenditure, when we really understand our money habits, then we can actually start to say, OK, is that serving me? Is that really helping me to grow my business? Did I really need to have that particular amount of money coming out for that particular thing? Is that going to help me get to where I want to get to? So the more we equip ourselves with the right information based on our behaviours, the more we can change our behaviours by becoming mindful, by it not just being a behaviour we do because we've always done it, a knee-jerk reaction to a situation. The more we can actually say, I'm a grown-up, I'm in charge of what I do, the more then we can ensure the behaviours we are demonstrating are supporting the outcomes that we want to see. Wonderful. And um, one of the other things I'm very conscious of listening to you there is that the habits or the disciplines that we need around money, again, will show up in other parts of our life too. So if you're having a daily habit of checking your bank account, in all likelihood, maybe you have a daily habit of exercising, maybe you have a, just a good, healthy habits in the whole of your, in, in the whole of your week, in the whole of your day. Absolutely. And and it, it's exactly it. It's it's not compartmentalising to a certain extent your habit. It's actually integrating the right habits into your daily routine and recognising that your money habits are part of your behaviour. They're part of you. Want, it's the holistic approach, essentially, to your life. You know, a healthy body, a healthy mind, a healthy bank account. They don't come 
by accident. They come by design. It's recognizing what your body needs in terms of the fuel going into it, recognizing what your body needs in terms of the exercise that you are doing for it. And it's exactly the same when it comes to the money in your bank account. It isn't about the money. It's about what you want to do with that money. And when you become fixated on the things that you want to do, and it might be, you know, going on more holidays, it might be spending more time with your family, putting money aside for school fees, changing your car, upgrading your house, whatever it might be. When you become goal orientated, it works in exactly the same way as fueling your body correctly, doing the right exercise. You want to be a certain size. You want to be a certain shape. You want to have certain number of hours, you know, good sleep, etc. It's exactly the same when it comes to our relationship with money. It's an extension of those healthy habits that we associate with eating, sleeping, exercising, the things we should be doing, the things we shouldn't be doing, and then reflect that onto why we want to be. And, and usually, you know, when, when it comes to, you know, our weight, for example, you know, we don't usually say, I'll be really, really happy when I'm X number of kilos. It tends to be, I want to feel comfortable in my clothes. I want to be able to comfortably run a marathon in sub four hours. I want to be able to do, you know, a hundred sit-ups so that my tummy looks, you know, great in a bikini, whatever it might be. And it's the set, it's the end result that we need to focus on, not actually the number itself. So it's not about the number in your bank account. It's about what you want to do with it, because that's the motivation, the memory making, the being able to move our lives forward. Because if we kept that money in the bank and never spent it, it wouldn't be serving any purpose for us. It's the purpose we're putting our money to. That's what gives us that motivation to change our behaviours and to do the things that make us uncomfortable. Because it's the things that make us uncomfortable that have the most growth. So if I've understood correctly there, what you're describing there is, is that money, money flows and it should flow into you and equally flow out of you. Yeah, absolutely. But that perhaps people are putting up barriers and obstacles to stop it flowing to them. And, and, and that is exactly it. You know, money is absolutely an energy. You know, at the end of the day, when we think of money, we will think of a piece of paper or we will think of, you know, metal coins or we will think of a number, you know, when we go and check our bank account online, whatever it might be. Actually, no, that isn't the importance is not that number. It's the importance of what we do with it and the way we think of the flow. And this is how I think about money is I am making room. So when I spend my money on school fees or, uh, you know, self-development or going on holiday, I'm literally making room for more to come back in to my bank account. So I don't think of it in a skit. Oh, my God, I've got to pay the school fees. I don't think of it in that way. 
I actually think about I'm going to pay the school fees and now I'm going to do the activity that's going to lead to that coming back in to my bank account because it is a flow. You know, what goes out comes in again. And if you think of it as a, as a water energy, essentially, you are just displacing some to replace it with something else. And the more that we allow ourselves to actually think about the how are my behaviours helping me to replenish what has gone out and actually create the right behaviours, the right activities in order to get the right results. It isn't about trying to hold on to it. It is about letting it go. So you're making room for the next amount to come through. Because when you are in flow, that is when you're at your most creative. That is when you're letting go of that scarcity mindset. Because it's the scarcity mindset that gets us into that mindset of hanging on rather than saying, I am investing. I'm investing in myself. I'm investing in my family. I'm investing in the memories that we are creating. And when that investment is made, I'm investing more of me to replenish what I've spent already. But it is, it, your word there was perfect, Kate. It is about that flow, absolutely. Cash flow. Yeah. <laughs> Called it for a reason, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm also very aware of sharing with the listeners that this is not a conversation, you're, and I'm not saying there's no accountants that will have this conversation, but that the role of an accountant is to manage to sort out your tax for HMRC and very very rarely do they help you look forwards it's much more 18 months retrospective afterwards by which time you can't even remember what actions you did whereas you can remember the actions you perhaps did a quarter ago but just by flicking back through your diary um, you can you can see what you did and so this is very much about identifying from what you're describing getting very very congruent with valuing yourself the values you bring to society you wish to deliver to society in exchange for a value exchange of money of time of whatever it is the resource that you're you're seeking um and keeping that in a line rather than operating from a place of fear or scarcity where we all know whatever we worry about brings around a negative result and actually um there's a, a taking of the barriers down that's that's required to possibilities, but understanding how are you getting in your own way? What are you not doing that you need to be doing? Because when there is a fire in your house and you have got to get out, it's likely to be the fastest time you have ever moved in your entire life because it's a life or death situation. And for lots of people, they have only ever realised how truly creative and solution orientated they can become when they are really compressed into a situation of survival. And the trick is, is to remove the need for survival and instead thinking about the thrival, the thriving. Mm. What do I need to do? to improve my situation? What are the opportunities that are available to me? And what happens when I think about doing that very thing, I'm not doing at the moment. 
And why am I not doing it at the moment? What am I saying to myself that is stopping me from being able to create that that security blanket I might need, that that uh, rainy day fund that I go, it's okay. I know that no matter what, I've created this little pot of money over here that's allowing me to sleep better at night because I know the better I sleep at night, the more productive I am the next day. I know the more productive I am, the more my subconscious comes up with these ideas I may never have thought of if I'm there going, I need I need to do something different. I need to do something different. Actually, our best ideas come to us when we're in the shower or we're doing, we're out, we're walking the dog. We're not intentionally trying to force that brilliant idea to us. It normally comes to us when we're not doing the very thing we think we should be doing in order to have that brilliant idea. So the more that we, we we let go and the more that we lean into what is it that is stopping me? What are the if I if I write a list of 10 things that I I need to do in order to solve this problem, and I am going to give myself permission to be as creative as I possibly can. And then to look at that list and think, okay, which are the ones I'm absolutely not going to do? And the first one you think, I'm absolutely not going to do that. Ask yourself, why? Why are you not going to do it? And at what cost? If you don't do it, what is the cost in terms of trying to find that solution that's going to move you forward? Because for all of us, we have the answer. We just don't always like the answer and we discount it because it's taking us outside of our comfort zone. But usually the re- the way to growth is by not just stepping outside of our comfort zone, actively jumping outside of your comfort zone and saying to yourself, I know I've held myself back. Actually, I did it and it wasn't so bad after all. And once you've done that once, it becomes a little bit addictive. You want to keep challenging yourself. And again, you know, taking it back to exercise, once you run a 5K, you're thinking, well, maybe I can do a 10K. Maybe I can do a half marathon. Blow it. I'm going to go and do a marathon. Oh, my God. Five years ago, I couldn't even run a 5K. And it's because we want to challenge ourselves. So once we give ourselves permission to challenge ourselves and come out of our comfort zone, that is when we become our most creative self. Then our behaviours will change, so will our actions, and that will equate to better results. And I think that what you're describing there in terms of what I've seen in many, many clinicians and clinic owners, it's the fear of rejection. They know what they would like to say. They're very clear on their concept of how they would like to work and what they would like their practice to look like in private but stay very conformist because of their fear of rejection without actually recognising that the more they say and are congruent with what it is they want to say and what they want to articulate, the more likely they are to attract the right clients who will value that. And they might be the odd naysayer, but nowhere near the um, negative impact that they fear, quite far the reverse. 
Absolutely. And you know, and the question then, you know, for those people to ask themselves is, what if I didn't really care what that, about being rejected? What if I set, you know, I set out today to have an honest conversation and I let go of whether or not it was well received or otherwise? What difference would that make to my business? What would the results be? And what could I be celebrating as a result? And when you start thinking about that, that is when you go, Do you know, every no I get is actually going to be that step closer to the yes I'm going to have as well. And that's empowering. It's inviting the no, because when you invite the no, but you know it means the yes is that much closer, all of a sudden you're like, come on there, quick, quick, no, okay, no, no, yeah, yes, come closer. And once you have that mentality, you really let go of the worry. And when you let go of the worry, you really start to see what is possible for you. And when you see what is possible for you, you get addicted to wanting more. Thank you very, very much, Leslie. Could you just conclude the conversation? Could you just summarise it, wrap it up, so that people have got some very clear points in which they can take away to have much more peace of mind and much more control over their finances whilst we're in this period of greater financial uncertainty and stress than what we're clearly already living with. Yeah, absolutely. Be, be aware of how your relationship with yourself is impacting your relationship with the growth that you want to see in your business. Yes, money is clearly a large part of that, but fear is an even bigger part of it. So to understand, are you simply getting in your own way because you have a fear? And what will be the result if you remove that fear and go and do it anyway? You know, Nike, that is a fantastic strap line. You feel the fear, but do it anyway, because what could you be celebrating if you go and do it anyway? Hopefully that was a good summary. Wonderful, Leslie. If people would like to hear more from you, where can they follow you or find out more about? Okay, probably the easiest place is to either go to my website, which is themoneyconfidenceacademy.com or to listen into my podcast, which is Let's Talk Money and More. And at my website, there's all my social media handles there. Wonderful. Thank you very much for your time and your input today, Leslie. Thank you, Kate. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this podcast valuable, here are four ways I can help you grow your practice for free. Firstly, visit www.marchandmethod.com forward slash grow. There you'll find access to the free Profit Without Pills program. You'll also have opportunity to register for the free web class, the triage call, and you'll be able to sign up for the weekly email newsletter where you get hints and tips on how to create a profitable and sustainable practice. And finally, please leave a five-star review so I can get access to influential people and speakers and bring them here so that they can share their lessons with you.